Please support me by like, subscribe, and sharing my casts. Follow my social media at Facebook, Instagram, Gab, Parlor, BitChute, and YouTube. Or you can join my Patreon. You can also make a donation in PayPal. I am a listener-supported show, so any of the above is greatly appreciated. Help me grow and spread truth since the mainstream media does not support truth. All links are listed on the description box. May God bless you and enjoy. Welcome to the Speak Uneasy, a safe space where cancel culture does not exist because we are in a different prohibition era. Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Speak Uneasy. Welcome in tonight, people. I am the bartender and I have chosen the random Bible read of the night. It'll be coming out of the book of Titus, chapter one, which is titled Paul's Son in the Faith. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the word began, the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me, according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Qualifications for leaders. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, hath been, oops, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort 
and to convince the gainsayers. And that is the random Bible of the read for the night, which came from the book of Titus, chapter 1, Paul's son in the faith and qualifications of leaders from verse 1 all the way to verse 9. Now, for tonight's drink, and just remember, folks, um, purpose for the drinking part of this is to teach people how to make cocktails if they don't know how. And I'm not trying to push alcoholism or anything like that. This is just a little hobby that I like to do. And besides, I don't drink to the point where I'm wasted. I don't even drink to the point where I'm buzzed. I have one cocktail, maybe two, if I do drink on a night. And that's about it. So I drink to just loosen up. Uh, and I drink because I love creating, not creating, but I love to make cocktails. So tonight's drink we are going to be making, it's going to be called a Whiskey Ricky. A Whiskey Ricky. It is sort of the same thing as the Japanese highball I made last week. But the difference is I'll be using a rye, American rye whiskey instead of a Japanese whiskey. And on top of that, I'll be adding some lime juice to it. So let's get started with tonight's cocktail. So I've already pre-chilled my glass and I'll be dumping my ice out. Now I'm putting ice into the chilled glass. Okay. We're going to be adding we're going to be adding about 2 to 2 and a half ounces of rye. I'm going for two and a half tonight. I'm going to open up the uh, soda water.
I've already pre-cut my lime, so I'm going to go ahead and squeeze my lime in there, my lime juice. You want to put about three, three quarters of an ounce of lime juice in there, but I'm squeezing out a whole lime. Give it a little stir. And now the taste. Wow, that is very nice. That's that's a pretty good drink. It's good on a hot on a hot day. It's a pretty good drink to have. It it lessens the um the bite of a rye whiskey because ryes are very they're they it has some kind of bite to it. It has that um that rye bite. But it's a well balanced drink because the lime juice really balances it out so there it is the whiskey ricky compai all right people so let's get into the show so today's topic of discussion that i want to talk about is going to be a very interesting one as I want to talk about two people and what my thoughts are on them and what what they believe in. So um, the first person I want to break down and talk about would be, of course, it's going to be Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She... Uh, of course, she's going to be the topic of discussion for me today because she was one of the Supreme Court justices who just recently passed away. So they say in the news. <clears throat> I have I have other theories on that, but um but um I, I I'm not going to get into that. We'll, you know, when when we when I start opening up to other th- topics, then we'll start talking about other stuff, but for now I want people just to be, we'll talk about normal conversation stuff for now. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Let me just dive into my notes here. So her history of being one of the Supreme Court justices was that she was a very, very extreme feminist. And she fought, well, I'm not going to say she fought cases, but she stood strong on Roe versus Wade, which gave, which which was pretty much pro-choice to 
for women to keep, you know, to have the choice whether or not they want to <clears throat> abort their unborn child or not. Uh, so there are th- some interesting stuff, but before I get into that, I want to play this clip that I thought was very, very, it was, it was very disturbing and it was, is very sickening because of the behavior of these people during a time where somebody passes away. It seems to me that they didn't have any respect for, for, for the person who passed away. Um, and politicize this whole, this whole memorial. So I want to play a video clip of um, when the president and his wife were there to pay their respects to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I thought that this was a very, very um, interesting clip to play for you people, just to see, just to see, just, just for you to see how people on the left side have completely lost their mind and now are very disrespectful very disrespectful in somebody's memorial i mean even though you don't like the president this is a memorial of somebody who's passed away and you must pay your respects i mean i don't i don't understand how people has gone they've lost it they've just gone but anyways i'll make the i'll make the clip explain itself so here's the clip President and First Lady Melania Trump making their way inside the chanting you heard for people outside the building shouting. Okay, so that was a clip from MSNBC. Uh, it, you know, uh, MSNBC, I'm not big fans of them, but um, nonetheless, it's, it's, it's their clip. So I wanted you people to get a glimpse of how far gone the left have gone all the way to the point where they are even disrespecting somebody who they adored quotes so um i found an article here in the la times uh and it's an opinion piece and this was written back in september 19th so let me uh go ahead and read read, read. Let me go ahead and read this opinion piece 
So then you may, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to paint a picture of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, There's a lot of stuff in her history that I'm just going to highlight just a few things. But I'll start off by reading this article from the LA Times. And it's, mind you, it's an opinion piece. And the it was by the editorial writer Carla Hall. And the headline reads, Ruth Bader Ginsburg protected your abortion rights. Be afraid now that she's gone. There were two things about Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg I admired deeply. One was her relentless defense of abortion and reproductive rights. And the other was her excellent planking form in the gym. Balancing your body weight on your hands and feet for 30 to 60 seconds is a challenge at any age, let alone 80 plus years old. But then, fighting for abortion rights and holding a plank draw on some of the same of some of the same skills, tenacity and willingness to push through fatigue. Reproductive rights have been constantly under attack in the nearly half century since the court ruled women had a right to a legal and safe abortion in Roe versus Wade. And Ginsburg never gave up the fight. In what would be her last vote on a reproductive rights case, she and Justice Sonia Sotomayor were the lonely holdouts from a Supreme Court ruling in July that would allow almost any company to get out of providing government-mandated insurance for contraception if the employers had any kid, I'm sorry, had any kind of moral or religious objection to it. Ginsburg wrote a meticulous and lengthy dissent, noting that tens of thousands of women would probably lose their contraception coverage. She also noted that exemptions provided by Congress were never intended to get companies out of government-required obligations based on any rarefied religious belief. She cited, among others, the court's 1986 ruling in Bowen v. Roy, in which... A Native American father asserted a sincere religious belief that his daughter's spirit would be harmed by the government's use of her social security number. No shock, the court ruled against the father. And, as Ginsburg noted, quotes, A religious adherent may be entitled to religious accommodation with regard to her own conduct. Unquote but she is not entitled to force others to conform to her conduct. I'll keep reading this. In a landmark 2016 decision overturning an onerous Texas law, HB2, that required abortion clinics to be outfitted like ambulatory surgical centers and staffed by doctors with hospital admitting privileges, ostensibly to protect women's health. Ginsburg concurring opinion noted the extraordinary safety record of abortions and the lack of similar requirements for 
far more dangerous procedures. She called out the Texas law for the sham it was, writing, quotes, It is beyond rational belief that HB2 could genuinely protect the health of women and certain that the law would, simple, would simply make it more difficult for them to obtain abortions, unquote. Even in the last 13 years, just, Justice Ginsburg had to lay out again and again how pregnancy discrimination is sex discrimination, said Nancy Northup, chief executive of Center for Reproductive Rights, in a statement Friday night. The power that Ginsburg wielded on the Supreme Court to make women's rights a legal reality and the way she did it in a straightforward, steely way without bloviating turned her into an 87-year-old, age-defying cultural icon for women and girls, including little ones who donned her signature frilly white collar and robe glasses as a Halloween costume. Probably some of that mystique came from the contrast between her diminutive stature as a woman and her stance as a judicial warrior. Her cult status was assured when she was crowned with the moniker Notorious RBG, appropriated from the late Notorious B.I.G., a massive bass voice rapper who was in every way physical opposite. Yeah, no kidding. That's why he was called B.I.G. Between her work ethic on the court and her workouts in the gym, I truly foolishly believed her to be nearly indestructible. Hearing earlier this summer of her trip to the hospital for a bile duct stent cleaning and of the metastatic spread of one of the numerous cancers she had miraculously survived. I though I thought to myself, well, she'll be fine, right? She'll certainly survive beyond the administration of a president she made little secret of disliking. Her dying wish was not to be replaced until a new president is installed. Bullshit. There are so many aspects of that wish I hope comes to pass for Ginsburg and the rest of us. It's not that her death leaves the court with only three stalwart supporters of abortion rights. It's that it leaves the possibility that her seat will be filled by an abortion opponent who will disagree the Supreme Court's three landmark rulings on abortion rights and search for ways to dismantle the bedrock ruling of Roe versus Wade, which would rob women of what the court has established as a constitutional right to a safe and legal abortion. I hope that day doesn't come to pass, but if it does, it will be a dark day for civil rights. And that is the article from the LA Times by um, Carla Hall. Now, my take on this opinion piece it's clear to me that um 
this lady is um, what the left calls pro-choice. What I call it is um, it's pro-killing baby. Because if they were, if the left was so concerned about the choice for women, well, how about the unborn women? And not only that, I mean, you had the tenacity to have unprotected sex with some somebody you probably didn't. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm talking about people who have irresponsible sex here, okay? You have the tenacity to have unprotected sex with somebody you probably won't be with for a long time or whatever whatever the case may be. Now, if you're mature to make a decision of having sex, then you're mature enough to take care of that kid. And if you're not mature enough to take care of that kid, why kill the kid when the ki- it's not the kid's fault? Why don't you just give your kid up to a- adoption? Because there are many families out there who are having a hard time trying to produce their own kids. So instead of killing instead of killing kids, why don't you just give your kid up for adoption where a loving family who's been having a hard time having their own kids have them adopt the kid? You know, life is very precious, people. And I don't think anybody, anybody's, you know, I don't think anybody should be killed. I changed that opinion. There are certain types of people. There are certain types of people that I, you know, that I, I don't wish... It's not Christian like to wish death upon somebody no matter no matter what kind of person this you know what no matter what kind of person it is. But let's just say that I wouldn't have any kind of I wouldn't feel sorry for a certain type of group of people. And I'll be discussing those certain type of group of people here in a minute because it connects with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So I am a very pro-life person. Um, I used to have wobbly thoughts on it. I used to think that, you know, maybe if the rape victim wanted to have an abortion, it would be okay. But then I thought again to myself, well, it's not the baby's fault. So why don't you give the baby a chance to live? Because maybe that person that's born, that baby who's born, may some may one day save somebody else's life or even make a powerful influence, a good influence on somebody else's life. It's just one of those things that we don't know. So I think it's a good idea to, you know, have the baby live because you don't know what kind of person that the baby may turn out to be. It may turn out to be a bad person, but at the same time, you don't know if that particular person is going to be able to touch somebody else's life and inspire them or even save their life or maybe just be there for them at the right time. So it's important that we, you know, we let these unborn babies have a chance to live. And like I said, if, 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 you feel that you're not responsible enough to take care of the baby, 
at least give the baby up for adoption where there are many families who are having issues in making having their own kids and they can adopt that child so that's my take on that particular issue and this opinion piece about Ruth Bader Ginsburg let me take a swig this is good it's not sweet either so it's 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 just perfect the 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 rye the soda water the lime it's just it's just, it's a perfect drink now um i'm going to go ahead and read i'm going to go ahead and read here it's a it's actually a it's a testimony reply it's by um and this was done in July 23rd of 1993. And I guess um, there were, let's see. Now, there was this person, uh, Susie Hirschman, who was the executive director of Eagle Forum. Um, and it was a letter to the to the Senate Judiciary Committee at the time in reply to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I want to talk about what Ruth Bader Ginsburg believed in age of consent for for sex. So let me just let me just look for that. Age of consent. Here we go. The age of consent for sexual acts must be lowered to 12 years old. <laughs> I'm going to read this. Eliminate the phrase carnal knowledge of any female, not his wife, who has not attained the age of 16 years and substitute a federal sex neutral definition of the offense. A person is guilty of an offense if he engages in a sexual act with another person. And the other person is, in fact, less than 12 years old. So what they're saying is, so my take on how this is written is um, the person can be guilty of having having a sexual relation, or not, not a sexual, but having sex with a child who's less than 12 years old, which means it cuts it down from 16 to 12. Now, that's my interpretation of that. So, I... You know, even at 12 years old, you are getting into being a teenager at that moment. And... Yeah, you kind of get curious about sexuality or sexual stuff. But at the same time, you're st it's like borderline. You're 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 about to hit teenage you're about to hit being a teenager and you still have that innocence of being a young child. Um I do understand that females mature faster, but 
They're not even fully developed at 12 years old. Yeah, there were, when I was 12, there were some girls who were, you know, they developed pretty early. But the mentality, the mentality of a 12-year-old is not, is not even close to even making a decision of having sex with somebody. Uh, I mean, even, even for, for argument's sake, if the, if, even if a boy was 16 having sex with a 12 year, I still think that's wrong. You know, even though it's just four years apart, 12 years old, 12, it's, you're not, you're not, your mental capacity is not even, it's not, at least it shouldn't be thinking about sex as much. But this generation nowadays where they have rappers out there talking about whiskey, alpha, papa, and you know what I'm talking about if you were, if you know what I'm talking about with those acronyms. I don't know what her name is. I don't listen to, I don't listen to, you know, modern rap. I can't stand it. I can't stand rap now. And, but anyways, kids are listening to this crap. You know, they're listening to this stuff and they're, they're, they're admiring these people. Where are the parents? Well, I mean, what the hell, dude? You're going to make your kids listen to that kind of stuff? Huh? I mean, I ain't gonna lie, dude. When when I was younger, I, I used to listen to Two Life Crew too, but my parents didn't know. So, anyways, I, I don't know where I'm going with that. That that was kind of stupid for me to say because I was <laughs> one of the one one of the best selling albums out there when I was about twelve, thirteen, twelve or thirteen was um, as nasty as they want to be by the Two Life Crew. That was like one of the most popular, um, <laughs> one of the most popular albums out there. Probably one of the best selling because they tried to um, ban these guys' speech because of the content of their music. It was so it was so sexual. But I can save that topic for another day. Um, but back to this. Uh, the lower age of consent to 12, I don't agree with this, and I don't think any right-minded parent should agree with this. Uh, we try to keep our kids as innocent as possible for as long as we can. But there's going to come a point, and that's probably like in the mid to later teens, that when, when they start experimenting you know, on stuff, I mean, I first time I did it was when I was like 16 or 17. So, you know, uh, with with no um, parental supervision and all that stuff, you know, things happen, I guess. But it, it is for for who of us as parents to to inform our kids about about sex. It's not the school. Here's my opinion again. 
I don't think it's the I don't think it's right for the the school to teach kids about sex. I think that's the parents' responsibility to teach their kids about sex. They should have that discussion. They shouldn't be ashamed of it because if you do not have that discussion with your kids, they're going to go ahead and try to find the answers somewhere else by somebody who doesn't even know as much as they do because it's it's called their peers. Their peers are going to tell them advice about something they don't even know themselves. Yeah, they might be able to know how to do it because they've done it before, but how about the consequences of it? Like what happens if you if you do have a baby with it or even the mental part of of having sex? Because you know, I used to think that having sex with all sort, you know, with all with many women was a very cool thing to do. But as I grew older, I realized that it, I realized that it was the wrong thing. I do think that it's okay to share have it's it's okay to share sex with somebody you really care about because that's what makes it special. Um again, I I grew up in a broken home. If for those of you who didn't hear my last show, I didn't have any uh male role model to give me direction and give me good advice on how to, you know, how to be responsible about having sex and when I should have sex with a female. So um I I, I try to harp that on my my son now, you know. It, I mean, if you're going to tell him if you I used to tell I used to tell him like a, not too long ago. I used to tell him, "Yeah, go ahead and have sex with as many girls as you want." Uh, but just don't make them pregnant and don't get any diseases or whatever. But as I got older, especially when I started hitting over 40, my mentality started changing about that. And I said to, I started saying to him, you know, I gave you the wrong advice. I, I, I honestly think that if you're going to have sex with somebody, make sure it's somebody that you care about because that's what makes it special and not just the act of having sex just to feel good physically. Because the more you have sex with so many people with no feelings, it becomes an empty thing to do. And part of part of the experience of having sex with somebody you care about is also is also that you guys are you guys have a good relationship. So that's my that's my take on that. Okay. Now, there's another thing I want to discuss about um, RBG, and it's about the prison and ref- the ref- she wanted to reform prisons um, to be to be uh, sex integrated, which means they wanted co-ed prisons, jails, any 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 type of um, any type of uh, rehabilitation um, facility. Now, when I say co-ed, I mean intermingling with each other, like sharing a cell or some 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 to that effect. So I'm going to read this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Prisons and reformati- reformatories must be sex integrated. If the grand design of such institutions is to prepare inmates for return to the community as persons equipped to benefit from the contribute to civil society, then 
Perpetuation of single-sex institutions should be rejected. 18 U.S.C. Uh, 4082, ordering the attorney, attorney general to commit convict offenders to available, suitable, and appropriate institutions is not sex discriminatory on its face. It should not be applied to permit consideration of a person's gender as a factor, making a particular institution appropriate or suitable for that person. So there's really not much information on that, but I mean, in a nutshell, it pretty much says that um it, it just pretty much says that they should be together. Because we're we're trying to <laughs> Now I'm not talking about me when I say we. I'm I'm talking about I'm, I'm I'm reading this thing. So it's talking about that they want to um rehabilitate this person back into civil society. So a single sex ins- institution should be rejected. So that means they want to Now that becomes a problem. So when you have people having sex in jail Who's to say that it might not be rape? You know, and here we go. We were just talking about having unwanted children. That right there is a gateway to having unwanted children is when you lock two people up who are just physically attracted to each other. And then in turn, the the woman gets pregnant and, you know, now the guy doesn't want anything to do with the kid and the woman doesn't want to take care of the kid either and decides that she wants to, you know, abort the baby. So that, that that's another gateway. It's another gateway to abort a child and also it raises it raises the propensity of rape to go skyrocket through the roof, the rape rate in prison. That's what it does. Um, that's crazy. I mean, can you, can you imagine that? I mean, if you get a, you get arrested, you share a cell with some, somebody of the opposite sex, you know, and I'm just talking as if you were a straight person for both male and female. And, you know, you, you, you guys hit it off. Like you have a good relation, like you're cool with each other and then all of a sudden things one one thing leads into another and there you go 9 months later you know you're ready to give birth to a baby that you probably don't want to give birth to that you decide that oh uh yeah I want to abort this kid because um I just I don't feel that I'm ready to have a kid I can't take care of my kid so that's going to open up problems not only that but a lot of um many passion crimes in in my opinion like murder um you know things like that like passion crimes a lot of them stem from jealousy of 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 somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend it's usually it's usually that kind of stuff happens for murder because of because of some kind of 
person cheating on another or something that affects. So, you know, it goes back to what if the person's married who's who's getting arrested and now they have some kind of outside affair. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. They're going to have an inside affair because they're inside jail or prison or whatever. So, yeah, it, it brings up another problem. Now, there's another thing here that's written, and it's also, let's see here. Here we go. The traditional family concept of husband as breadwinner and wife as homemaker must be eliminated. Wow. Talk about destroying the nuclear family. Okay. Congress and the president should direct their attention to the concept that pervades the code that the adult world is and should be divided into two classes. Independent men whose primary responsibility is to win bread for a family and dependent women whose primary responsibility is to care for children and household. This concept must be eliminated from the code if it is to reflect the equality principle. It is a prime recommendation of this report that all legislation based on the breadwinning, husband-dependent, homemaking, wife pattern be recast using precise functional description in lieu of gross gender classification. A scheme built upon the breadwinning husband and dependent homemaking wife concept inevitably treats the women's efforts for aspirations in the economic economic sector as less important than the man's. Okay, I for somebody who's a feminist, this doesn't make any sense to me because now she's pushing to divide the two classes when feminism always wanted to be equal to a man. So this in itself doesn't make any kind of sense to me due to the fact and this is because she was she was a very extreme feminist that now she wants to divide the two she wants the two classes divided. I, I, I don't know what to say about this. I mean, I just read it and it's it's it doesn't make I mean just based on the principle of an extreme feminist, I, this doesn't make any sense to me. So I'll just leave it at that because there's there's no way I'm going to there's there's no way I'm going to make any sense of this when extreme fem like feminism goes opposite. They want to be equal to the man, but yet this is saying they want the classes divided. So I don't understand what this is. Well, I mean, what is it, feminist? Which one do you want? Do you only want it when it's convenient for you? Or do you really want to be equal? Because if you want to be equal, you know, tell us. But don't go back on your word if you can't handle what, you know, what what men can't handle. Well, I mean, if you can't handle what men can handle. And I know, I know, I'm probably going to offend some females out there, but... What I'm trying to say is 
men are more physically stronger. And I'm not saying every man. Obviously, there are women out there who are strong too. It's a very small percentage if you compare the male and the female. The men are usually going to be physically stronger than a female. So, yeah, I don't I'm going to leave it at this because this is this is my mind is blown right now because like I said, feminists always wants they they always want to be equal to men or more I guess this makes sense because they want more power than men or whatever. So, I'm going to yeah, I'm going to leave it at that because that's confusing. Okay. So, um she also wanted language changed. Um, so I'm going to read this right here. About 750 to 800 federal laws that allegedly discriminate, in quotes, on account of sex merely involve the use of so-called, in quotes, sexist words which the ERAers wanted to censor out of the English language. The following is a list of specific recommended word changes which the feminists want censored out of federal laws. Here we go. Word. I'm going to read words to be removed and then follow it up with the words to be substituted as. Oh, Here we go. Man-made to artificial, man-woman to person-human, mankind to humanity, manpower to human resources, husband-wife to spouse, mother-father to parent, sister-brother to sibling, paternity to parentage, widow-widower surviving spouse, entryman, enterer, serviceman, service member, midshipman, midship person, Longshoreman, stevedores, postmaster, post office director, <laughs> plain clothesman, plain clothes person, watchman, watch person, lineman, line installer, line maintainer, businessman, business person, duties of seamanship, nautical or seafaring duties. Jeez. This is crazy, man. <laughs> I mean, has society really gotten that weak that words like this offend people? I mean, if if words like this offend you, then you have big problems. You got issues. You you really have especially being I mean, if you're a feminist, you got daddy problems up the up the you know where. Man or woman, or person, or whatever. But yeah, they, she wants these words removed. She wanted these words removed and be substituted to those pe- to those other words. So, well, there you go. There's my take on, uh, on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And uh, you can make an opinion after what I've read. I mean, I'm not telling you to to choose what you think you should think about her. You can make your own decision on what you can think about her. All right. So 
this was a very, very long topic. And it's probably going to get long for this one too, but I don't care. This is my show. I do whatever I want. It's the speak uneasy, better recognize. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and start this. I'm going to start this segment um, with, uh, with a video clip that you can hear. I mean, an audio clip rather. And this was uh, an interview um, from Fox and Friends. And the, the interviewee or the interview, the person who's being interviewed, I'm sorry, my English sucks and my reading sucks. Uh, I went to public school in high school and I was a horrible student. So excuse me for, (laughs) excuse me for my sucky reading and my terrible English language. Um, I do speak Japanese as well. And sometimes words get twisted in my mouth. So, um, anyways, okay. So I want to, I want to start this segment about the next person who I'm going to talk about. And, um, the next person I'm going to be talking about is Jim Caviezel, and he is the actor who played Jesus Christ in The Passion of the Christ. Now, the reason why I chose this guy was because his his he had an amazing story about how he he became he his faith in God became very strong, and it had a lot to do with him going through the making of The Passion of the Christ. He was struck by lightning, and I believe he broke his uh, shoulder while he was making the film. And I guess because of the experience he went through making that film, his faith in God became very strong. So I am going to go ahead and play this clip, and it's a very good clip. Here we go actor and star of the new film Infidel. Jim Caviezel joins me now. Jim, thank you so much for being here. The, the film is about an American Christian journalist imprisoned in Iran. Uh, what, what is the goal? I've, I've watched the trailer. It's out in theaters now, brand new. What's the goal of this film? Well, the, the goal is to obviously bring the attention to a lot of Americans of the persecution of what's going on in Iran, countries like China and, and uh, Christian persecution where they execute them um, for their faith. You know, that, that uh, people have taken their faith for granted as far as, you know, uh, especially here in the United States. But um, I, now with not being able to go to churches, um, which is a violation of our inalienable rights, um, we uh, need to start standing up. Jim, why are Christians not standing up in this moment? There is historic persecution, as you've mentioned, of Christians around the globe, uh, shrinking uh, measures here at home. Uh, is, is there a problem inside Christianity uh, in engaging in the world today? This is the fear factor, you know, but Jesus says, you know, do not be afraid, I go before you always. Um, And that was a big part of when I got to do the Passion of the Christ and the uh, understanding that, you know, at one point when I was struck by lightning and and I had to have two heart surgeries, open heart as well, um, that it could cost me my life. But I knew that that was the whole message of the Gospels when Peter and Paul and 
and especially when I was reading Paul's uh, letters in the, to the Romans, it moved me so much that here this man knows he's going to be butchered by the Romans, but he stood up. And I said, may God, may, in this time that I could do what you need me to do and lead as many people back to you. And I took that into the performance of Infidel. That was important. It had to be a part of that. And so when Cyrus Norristad brought me this script, uh, I thought this is these are the times uh, that we're living in that, that we have to start standing up. And uh, so I can do my little bit with that movie, but always the intention to bring souls back to Jesus. I can hear the passion in your voice. Uh, one other topic you wanted to touch on was Ronald Reagan gave a speech, a time for choosing speech in 1964. And he said, you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. What can Americans learn from Ronald Reagan? What are your, what are your uh, thoughts on that at this moment in time? Yes, he's, that's right. He said that, and he said now, also he said, now let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this. But every lesson in history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is a specter our well-meaning Christian liberal friends, our, our priests, bishops, and pastors refuse to face, that their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives us no choice between peace and war, only between fight and surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we will have to face the final demand, the final ultimatum, and what then? When Satan has told the people of this world, he knows what our answer is going to be. He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of his cold war and someday when the time is right to deliver his final ultimatum, our surrender will be voluntary because you see by then we will have been so weakened from within, spiritually, morally, economically. He believes this because from our side he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price or better read than dead or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees than die on his feet and therein lies the road to war because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know it and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Ridge have refused to fire the shot heard around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools and our beloved dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis did not die in vain. Where then lies the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all, that you and I have the courage to tell our enemies there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond wow. which evil must yeah. not advance. In the words of Jim, Reagan, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. Jim Caviezel, thank you so much for that insight and congratulations on the powerful film, Infidel. Thank you. Very powerful, very powerful. Now, my take on that, and I'm having goosebumps just just after this, after this interview, and I've seen this interview more than three times. But that is that is that is a very 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 spiritual man. He is a true believer in Jesus Christ. And he he is in a profession that, you know, he's an actor. He's in a profession where he is surrounded. He is constantly surrounded by these evil people in Hollywood. 
and God bless this guy because that was the Holy Spirit that just went through this guy with those words. And it's only the Holy Spirit that can do something like that. You know, um, it's, it's, it, that was amazing and it's still amazing. And it goes back to, I mean, he's, he's speaking a lot of truth there. I mean, if we don't fight now, we're going to end up fighting. What we're doing is we're, 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 we're just kicking the bucket down for something that's inevitable. I mean, things are going to happen and I'm not trying to condone any kind of violence, but, but with everything that's going on right now in this country, the division, and I am not, I am not pushing for violence at all. There is more, there is more power in prayer. We have to fight spiritually. This is a spiritual war. And if you didn't even look, the clip that I just played and the clip that I played for for our, for for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, both had spiritual content to it. With Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the people that were making those demonic noises and and, and telling telling and saying chanting vote him out those came from the it sounded so evil to, i mean to me in my ears it sounded it sounded like demons it really did and you hear this that's clearly the holy spirit speaking through him and i've had experiences with the holy spirit i have and it's a very powerful thing you can't control the, your emotions when that happens to you. You, it, it's unexplainable. It's just one of those things that, it's very powerful, and you, you can't explain it. It hits you. It goes through you. It hits you. You feel it. It's something that you feel. You know, spiritually, you feel it. You get these goosebumps. You get a, an overwhelming power of emotion when the Holy Spirit hits you. The Lord hears you. He hears your prayers. Trust me, I know. And the reason why I read these Bible verses is not, you know, I'm I'm not trying to say that I'm a righteous guy. I'm not trying to say that I'm a perfect individual. But there's always meaning to those scriptures. And for me, a lot of the times I apply it to what's going in my what's going on in my life, and that's why I like to read these things because it's a way of God speaking to me through this, through the Bible. He speaks to me through scriptures. And you know, yeah, I, I I am, I'm talking about religion. Yes, I am because we need this. We we need we need more spiritual. We need more relationships with God to be built. Because the war that we're fighting now is nothing like World War One or World War Two. This battle that we're fighting is a, is against the devil. It's God against the devil. And if you haven't noticed what's going on, if you haven't noticed the things that you see on television, where people are just doing like blatant things to other people, or even saying the most ugliest things, it's it's unhuman it's coming from somewhere else and it's coming from from a, it's coming from a dark place with these people and trust me i'm pretty sure that the right gets wounded up in this thing too 
because now they have some kind of hate for the left because they keep it's building up in them when in actuality your 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 relationship with god should be strengthened instead of having hate for these people you need to strengthen your relationship with with god and i'm not trying to preach i'm far from being how i should be how i want how i want to be but this is the journey that we're we're going to be taking together because my goal out of this podcast too is to pick you up is to pick you up from whatever you're from and you know tell you that you know it's okay to make mistakes but you got to pick yourself up and you got to fix yourself and the way you fix yourself is having that relationship with God having that relationship with Christ and i found the lord back in 2017 but i'll save i'll save my testimony for another day because it, it, it's very it was a very very it was one of those things it was like a math equation where where i had to solve some kind of problem but at the end of it when i found the answer to the equation i i couldn't make sense of how it got to that except one answer but i'll save that for another time so I wanted to talk about Mr. Caviezel here, his latest film, Infidel. I have not seen it yet. I would love to go see it. If not, then I'll download it off of, you know, whatever website is going to have it. Um, well, let me rephrase that. I'll probably see it on Amazon or or uh, iTunes because I don't have Netflix. I, I canceled my Netflix. Screw them. So, like I said, that was the Holy Spirit speaking through him. And his revelation, the way he came to strengthen his relationship with the Lord, I would love to play that, that, you know, I would love to play that clip, but it's a very long clip, and I know I'm going over the time that I should, but... I feel that this is an important topic. This is an important person to speak about because we need more of this kind of person. We need more of him. We need we need to be like this person. Cuz he's spreading nothing but he's spreading nothing but the Lord's word. He's spreading good things. He's not spreading any kind of hate. We need to pick each other up. This is the time where the word needs to get out. The Lord's word needs to get out. We need to build that relationship because we have to brace ourselves for what's coming. And what's, this has, even though it's pushed as an election and our rights and all that stuff, there's a deeper meaning to everything that's going on. And that deeper meaning is a spiritual meaning. This is evil versus good. It's plain to see. At least with my eyes, it's plain to see. And I know that a lot of you listening agree with me because you have not seen a lot of these things that are going on before. And now all these are being blatantly showed to us. You're not stupid, listener. You know you can pick these signs up and see what's going on for yourself. Part of me doing this is to show you what I think the truth is. And the truth is, they're showing you a lot of ugliness out there. They're exposing themselves of who they really are. 
It's not time to take a side between left and right. It's time to build that relationship with God because it's very important that we all do. Now, I want to read an article here. And this was an interview done by um, Bounding Into Comics. And this was... um, this was an interview of uh, Jim Caviezel. Let's see here. Okay, so um, this this one was written by um, Spencer Bacciuli, if I'm pronouncing that right. And this is out of the celebrity section from uh, boundingintocomics.com. The article is titled... Person of interest star Jim Caviezel points to ongoing U.S. church closures as evidence Christians are being persecuted for their faith. It can't get any truer than this nowadays, especially with with the whole stupid ass thing of Charlie Victor nine one nine locking down church. Yeah, you know, they're you know you can't. They're taking away our right to assemble. Anyways, I'm going to read the article. Person of interest and Passion of the Christ star Jim Caviezel recently offered his opinion that the ongoing closure of churches in the United States amidst the Charlie Victor 19 pandemic is an example of Christians, quote, being persecuted for their faith, unquote. On September 10th, Caviezel, a devout Christian follower of the Catholic faith, spoke with Breitbart News Daily about his upcoming film, Infidel, a contemporary Middle East thriller that will star Caviezel as an American kidnapped while attending a conference in Cairo who ends up in prison in Iran on spying charges, whose wife goes to Iran determined to get him out. At one point in the interview, Caviezel turns to the topic of Christians being persecuted for their faith. Whether it be in Iran or in China or other parts of the world, the states that and states that a prime example of his of this persecution in the United States were where you're not allowed to go into churches. He then pointed to the inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and asked Why can't I go to church? Caviezel then related these current closures to this character that I am playing in Infidel, where his rights are taken away from him, and stated that, and you're an American. You're standing here and say, why should I go to this film? What is going on here? Let's put this together. The actor would then proceed to point out the hypocritical and inconsistent reasons being given for the ongoing closure of certain institutions sarcastically nothing that you go into an airplane you see a lot of people they're wearing masks they're right next to each other but the Charlie Victor 19 for some reason doesn't spread it's so smart it knows not to do that 
But when you go into a church, the Charlie Victor 19 goes everywhere, he concluded. Caviezel would then argue that this is the conversation that we're having right now because the media no longer represents a lot of American, especially those that still like this stuff. But most of us, we don't trust them anymore, he continued. And so when you tell me I'm doing an anti-Semitic movie or film on infidel that is somehow immoral, tell me, you know, to quote Jesus, if evil I have spoken, tell me what evil that is. If not, why do you strike me? He would also relate the actions of his character in Infidel to the ongoing practice of cancel culture. Yeah, that's why this is a safe space from cancel culture that has gripped contemporary disclosure. Caviezel stated that one of the interesting things about this script is that the main character stands up for what he believes in, and that is something that's lacking today in cancel culture. And identified the proponents of cancel culture as people who are wanting to be liked so badly. So true. He would then claim these individuals were misinformed and suggest they look at what Jesus spoke about, what love really is. You know, it's not going to be some communist or Nazi that takes away your freedoms, warned Caviezel. It's going to be you giving them away. At the conclusion of the interview, Caviezel also noted that the sequel to The Passion of the Christ, The Passion of the Christ, The Resurrection, is currently being worked on, and it's going to be the biggest film in world history, and I so believe that because The the Passion of the Christ was a very powerful film. Infidel is currently set for a theatrical release. Oh, it's already been released. Okay, so let's stop with that article because it pretty much closes that out. So he couldn't be um, more right. We are living in a very, very different, a very different culture. Cancel culture, especially with conservatives, especially with, and yes, Christians are being persecuted. And I do have another article about that. And um, I will get into that article. Okay. This one is by Sofrip.com. And uh, this one is by Stephen Balestieri. Balestieri, yeah. And this was written six days ago. Uh, the title of this article is The World is Turning a Blind Eye to Genocide Against Christians in Nigeria. And there's a reason why I picked giant in Nigeria. The man who baptized me, I think he is from Nigeria. Okay. Amidst the violence that is gripping Nigeria, the country's Christians are being targeted by by the terrorist group Boko Haram, while the rest of the world is largely ignoring the issue because it's Christian. No one cares about nobody cares about the Christians. Christians are being singled out for elimination by Boko Haram and Fulani tribesmen. So far in 2020, approximately 12 hundred have been killed in the last five years the number has reached over 12,000 last month five international aid workers were killed by terrorists from the islamic state west african province 
ISWAP were commonly known as Boko Haram. A video of the killings was released by the Islamist group as a warning to all those being used by infidels to convert Muslims to Christianity. While the world has been aware of these atrocities, not much has been done about it. Back in 2010, the Office of the Prosecutor of the International Criminal Court opened an investigation into the situation in Nigeria. He looked specifically at the brutalities conducted by Boko Haram. The Office of the Prosecutor looked into six cases wherein Boko Haram had committed crimes against humanity and two cases were such crimes were committed by the Nigerian security forces. The six cases involving Boko Haram included the following violations. Targeting, the non, targeting of non-believers, which resulted in several deaths, kidnappings and imprisonment of civilians under the murder, torture, inhum, inhuman, and degradating treatment, attacks on schools and other areas designated for education, as well as attacks against students and teachers, recruitment and the use of children soldiers, attacks on women and girls, the targeting of buildings designated for religious practices, churches attacking and abducting women and girls has been a part of the modus operandi of boko haram boko haram regularly subjects women and girls to physical and mental abuse rape and sexual violence forced labor and more the muslim fulani tribesmen mostly herders continue their own brand of genocide against christian farmers and anyone who stands in their way in central nigeria also known as the the Middle Belt. With climate change, the herders are losing much of their traditional grazing lands, so they have been taking land by force. According to a report titled Nigeria Unfolding Genocide and prepared for the UK's parliament, thousands have been killed by the Fulani and many more have been displaced by the violence. It is estimated that between 2 and 3 million people have been displaced to, due to Boko Haram and Fulani tribesmen attacks. It has been reported that the number of Christians killed in Nigeria has topped 60,000 in the last 15 years. Former Virginia Congressman Frank Wolf has blasted U.S. efforts in Nigeria to date. He is pushing hard for the creation of a special envoy to investigate the killings, which he considers genocide. He said he was appalled for America to see genocide and not do anything about it. It is feared that the attacks will only grow worse as terror groups such as Boko Haram are able to tap into terror networks, worldwide support and keep acquiring arms. The Nigerian government is denying the occurrence of such attacks. According to, the, according to a statement by Garba Shehu, the spokes, spokesman for President Muhammadu Buhari, the false allegations of persecution of Christians are a most misleading campaign. Boko Haram began in 2002 as a nonviolent group whose goal was to purify, nor purify Islam in northern Nigeria. The group was once aligned with al-Qaeda, but in 2015 sworn allegiance to the Islamic State ISIS. It has been designated as a terrorist organization by the United States since 2013. 
So that was an article by Sofrep. So it's very real, people. Christians are being, they're being targeted. And um, now more than ever, we all, I mean, we have, as Christians, we, we need to, we need to, strengthen our relationship with God because the, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's, it's, it's very apparent if you're not, if you're not seeing or listening all to, to these things that are happening around the world or even, even in this country, if you can't see what's going on spiritually, if you cannot see it, then I'm afraid that you'll never see it. But I'm here to at least open that up to you. I'm here to open that up to to you to see. I'm trying to make it as obvious as can be to show you what's going on. You know, um, there's too much hate. We need to stop that. We need to pick each other up. We need to build that relationship with God because... You know, without God in our lives, it's it's, it's you're going to see what happens. You're going to end up like being one, one of those people who have nothing but hate in their heart. So I thought this would be another interesting thing for me to read. And it's going to be Article 1 of the Bill of Rights under the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof of abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. I'm going to repeat this part again. The right of the people peaceably to assemble. Going to church. Congregating. So we all can worship together. With that being said, the bar is now closed. It's more than a passing notion I've never fallen with such devotion I can't help but wonder If it's only a dream Am I naive again? Things are really as they seem 
Can anyone explain it? How to understand what's true? I know I just can't tame it. Whenever I I can't help but wonder If you wonder about me Cause lately I can't help but wonder How wonderful this might be Right. 